You guys know what time it is. It is that time. The Stone Cold Steve Austin Broken Skull Sessions is going for gold. Alright, welcome everybody, and this episode is going to suck. No, just kidding. It's going to mean that you suck. It is episode 9, featuring the one, the only, the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. If you're new to the channel, please like and comment, maybe even subscribe. You know, either thing would help out immensely. Um, This is, remember, if you guys are the first time here, this is the podcast of the podcast. If you don't want to watch the entire episode that it can be almost up to two hours in some points this is the right spot for you because we're going to go over all the highlights and delights that brings us with kurt angle and stone cold steve austin so let's break that glass and get right in so the podcast starts out and the two reminisce on how it's um how it has been while you know it's been a long time since they've really truly seen each other um kurt has been running his uh supplement company physical fit fitness so they talk a little bit about that a little shameless self-promotion and then austin joked that kurt still has those bright blue eyes and kurt is a good looking guy but now a grizzled veteran of the ring the last two connected on raw's 25th anniversary i can't believe it's been that long but prior to that it was since those two were wrestling um since they both you know ironically had discussed their neck issues in their career kurt discussed meeting with his neck doctor and ultimately bringing up how the doctor was still believed that Austin's was the worst neck and that he's ever seen. So it's funny because these two are competing over broken necks, really. Um, Austin asked about his neck injuries, and Kurt noted that his neck bridges are not um, good for a human being to be going through, basically. It was at this point then Austin kind of got the show going, and he gave Kurt a little bit of a mystery bag gift. And these guys throughout the show kind of gave each other gifts back and forth. So what happened was he gave him just kind of a plain white shirt that says hashtag forget Fresno. That's an inside joke on them. And Kurt shared the full story as Austin will randomly text him Fresno. And while Kurt will reply with a F you and the two had a match together in Fresno. And it was the only time in Kurt's life where he got a little tired as his condition was impeccable. The only person to blow up uh, Kurt was Austin, right? Steve joked that with all of Kurt's accomplishments, um, it means that if he entered the Olympics instead of Angle, Austin would have won the gold. So that's kind of the ongoing joke between these guys. And it's good to see that these guys have a friendly humor among each other. Uh, It's a genuinely hilarious moment, and Kurt noted that Steve was particularly intense in the ring. We then uh, get into prior to the ring. We Steve, you know, basically was watching some footage of the 1996 Olympics at this part of the show. And um, amazing, right? So, and he was amazed by the tiebreaker and the fact that it came down to the wire. Angle noted that his opponent was easily the best in the division and was destined to win the gold, but somehow he emerged as the victor. Despite getting his arm raised, Kurt seriously injured his groin and toughed it out. Kurt also noted that in this situation that it was a very trying time for him since he previously broke his neck and his coach David Schultz was murdered six months prior to the Olympics so he felt completely on his own for about 10 minutes before his match. Kurt would be injected with Novocaine into his neck um, since his pain reached agonizing levels of a 10 out of 10, right? So although Kurt had coaches and he considered his brothers as his true coaches, 
Kurt put in eight to nine hours worth of training per day for four straight years with only one day off. Okay, that's what it takes to become an Olympic gold medalist for the United States. And um, it's just amazing because I didn't know. I knew he wrestled with a broken neck, but I didn't know he went through all of those. That was very telling for me, and I didn't know that about his trainer. Steve asked Kurt about how Vince reached out to him, and Kurt noted that Vince offered him initially a $10 million multi-million dollar deal or a 10-year um, deal worth um, multi-million dollars. So uh, equally about 500000 per year roughly. So he got about $5 million or so. Uh, Angle's agent said, you're not doing that fake crap. And, several, and they actually laughed and they kind of tore it up together and tore up the contract or the offer. Several years later, Kurt parted with his agent and reached out to the WWE again because he wasn't really doing anything but pizza commercials, if you guys remember. Um, and he was informed that he would need to work his way up. And the previous contract was now off the table. So then we get into and a nice transition into meeting Vince McMahon, all right? And that always happens on these shows. Steve asked Kurt about how Vince reached out to him. And Kurt noted that Vince, again, offered him that deal. And they said they're not, you know, of course, doing that work. But Steve asked Kurt about his friendship with Shane Douglas then. So he kind of kind of steered into this initially, you know, since he didn't go to the WWE. Um, he had a friendship with Shane Douglas in ECW incident. And Angle felt a little misled about the wrestling industry initially. Basically, Shane got a hold of him and explained their style of wrestling uh, was much more legitimate by the time Kurt arrived, he quickly realized that hardcore wrestling with weapons and noted that the crucifixion match between Raven and Sandman really turned him off of the product. Kurt asked himself, what the hell am I doing here? Um, Vince then, of course, referred to Kurt to um, Jim Ross for recruiting, right? And he noted that the deal again was off the table of the 500000 per year, and Kurt would be making 50000 per year instead. Um, based on... How impressed he was by Kurt, JR quickly offered him a five-year deal and would be adjusted once he made television. Kurt's fight to make more money was pretty much easy since it was his first year and considered he was a really great success. Angle joked that he asked for what Steve Austin was making, which popped Steve, right? And so that was kind of funny in a little bit of a sense. And um, the fact that, you know, Vince was all ready to sign this guy and then all of a sudden he got steered over to JR like, eh, we'll see how you do. So then we get into the training in the debut of Kurt Angle. So we got footage shown of Kurt training with Dory Funk Jr. and Dr. Tom Pritchard. This revealed that Dory was talking Kurt through their, their basically their overall lockups. And Angle noted that he wanted to first learn how to properly bump and sell prior to getting aggressive. Um, Steve brought up how during a television taping at Jacksonville, himself, Taker, and the Godwins were sitting and watching Kurt put on a killer 10-minute short match. Steve asked him how humbling it was to start off in such shark-infested waters, and it must have been kind of crazy. And Kurt admitted that it was difficult and concerned about how he would be embraced. He had learned to respect other people, especially the main eventers. Kurt would sit and watch all the matches and rapidly improve due to the constantly just studying them and becoming kind of a student of the game. So at this point... Steve brings up the vignettes related to Kurt's introduction where it concluded the most celebrated real athlete in WWF history. Kurt revealed that Vince worked with him on the promos and that he constantly disagreed with the chairman. Furthermore, Angle noted that he got into the business specifically because of Austin and wanted to be him. So Steve was cool, but Kurt was left talking about the Olympics 
and the three eyes. But he really didn't realize that Vince was creating a heel and you know, Steve then would then compliment Kurt's range and timing and be able to play a face or a heel in the business. So the three eyes really were Kurt's start off in this uh, promotion and as he kind of embraced. Uh, so that was kind of like a big moniker for him as he came in. Kurt remembered that the first night he cut a promo with Vince basically just explaining what a promo and how it has to be in those five-minute increments. Angle would reveal that he likely nailed about 70% of it and it was enough for Vince to just acknowledge and go, he's got this. So that's always a good thumbs up from the chairman. Vince would share with Kurt that he, um, basically that he knew what to do this time around since it backfired with The Rock. Um, first of all, going toe-to-toe with The Rock's just rough in a promo, right? Because the guy's pretty quick on his feet normally. That's why Vince knew, despite being an Olympic gold medalist, Kurt would be arguably the top heel in the business someday. Kurt noted that he was having... Good matches, and he worked his way up. The build, the momentum were undoubtedly working in his favor. By the time and an identity that Vince helped him build, Kurt felt everything became much easier. Brian Gerwitz handled Kurt's verbiage initially. As Kurt starts climbing up the card, his relationship with Vince was always good. McMahon would give him advice, and he would always be honest with the Olympic gold medalist. Kurt compared it to a father-son relationship, but noted that he wasn't business savvy enough so likely didn't uh, receive enough. Kurt brought up the fact that he wanted to make more money in merch, to which Vince nonchalantly replied, you won't, since his merch couldn't feature anything to do with the Olympics. Um, Kurt would then put over how Steve, Cena, and Rock possessed such a vision in the business. So, you know, they had to kind of play the uh, Olympic gold medalist stuff down, even though that was the bulk of his character. They couldn't really use that as a merch sponsorship. We then get into the initial first years part of the podcast. Um, Steve relives Kurt's historic first year in the business in which it was the European IC title, King of the Ring winner, and the World Heavyweight Championship win over The Rock. This really took Kurt by surprise uh, since he was losing his matches against The Undertaker and Big Show. He also believed that the main event at WrestleMania with Steve Austin could be possible. Um, It's interesting, right, because Kurt noted during his first year that he just shut up and listened, and so it was very far from being a ring general. You know, I always kind of say that that's so key when you kind of take on a new project is, you know, there's an old saying, you got two ears and one mouth, right? And a lot of times when you start out using those two ears, it'll lead to those thoughts getting in your brain where you can use your mouth to speak. Um, I remember the first year of Kurt holding both of the Intercontinental and Euro title and calling it the Euro Continental title, and I just thought that was kind of a brilliant play on his end. So we then kind of transition into footage shown of Angle defeating The Rock to capture the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Kurt joked that there was a giant booger actually in his nose, which was incredibly embarrassing. Um, Kurt also noted that he was just excited to win the World Heavyweight Championship as he was to win a gold medal, you know, since it validated the fact that he was one of the best in this new industry that he achieved. He also credited Steve, The Rock, Undertaker, and Triple H for really leading him down the path to success. Next, we get into another part. So many memories with Kurt here. Um, We switched gears, and Steve brings up the program that he ran with Triple H and Stephanie. Austin noted that Hunter is very methodical and always has a plan. Kurt brings up the first big main event between them with the triple threat match at SummerSlam. That was a great one, guys, between him, Triple H, and The Rock. And, of course, this whole love triangle thing happened with Stephanie, right? 
Um, the commentary table spot is shown where it collapses prematurely. It's a really famous spot there at SummerSlam. And Kurt got legitimately knocked out due to hitting the concrete floor with the pedigree. The table just gave out on these two. I remember watching it. Triple H could would carry basically Kurt through the remainder of the match. Angle would point out how Hunter was so great at improvising on the fly while sticking it, you know, basically to the overall plan. Um, Steve believes that Kurt often downplays the incredible improvising skills. A clip of uh, Kurt is shown kissing Stephanie McMahon backstage after taking a bump in the match, which Angle noted it wasn't done on the fly, but rather a very concocted and directed plan by Vince McMahon, her father. Kurt joked that he kept his mouth shut during the kiss, and Stephanie noted that um, he kissed basically like a fish, but then brought up how Vince was merely feet away, so that was all very you know nervous of Kurt. So I, you know, I couldn't even imagine being in that position where the boss's daughter is in the storyline, you're told to kiss her while her father's sitting right there. So I don't blame for, um, you know, Kurt keeping his mouth shut, whether it was bad breath or whether it was really just nerves. And, you know, obviously he was the guy that you've kind of took me under his wing and mentored him. So you got to get that right. Oh, then we get to one of my favorite Kurt Angle moments and probably one of the best matches in WWE history. The street fight at King of the Ring. Austin transitions over to this match. This match was Shane McMahon. Kurt noting that was the best thing to ever happen to him. The two were quite snug with each other. especially Kind of ironic after he was talking about kissing Stephanie. Uh, the two were quite, you know, like getting close. The two agreed that they would rather absorb chair shots than take blows from the kendo stick. Fair enough. The tailbone injury following the suplex from Shane is shown... Um, Basically, and then, you know, Austin noting that if Kurt had got to his feet sooner, it could have been avoided. Angles uh, agreed, and he chalked it to basically his inexperience. He couldn't move, and he basically sustained broken bones due to not being able to move. Um, They talk a little bit about how the plexiglass uh, basically was sealed, and it caused it to be remarkably difficult to actually break. I remember they actually tried to throw each other through this a couple times, right? Um, and this was real, you know, kind of glass in here. Um, Kurt could barely stand this for the second spot while Shane was failing to go through, you know, is in that whole angle shown. Angle then brought up how Vince nearly called an audible to wave off the match until Shane waved it off and said no, and Kurt tossing him headfirst through uh, the glass instead. Kurt asked the ref for anything to carry, you know, Shane back within the ring, and he was given some equipment featuring wheels to assist. Um, Austin noted that the conclusion could have easily gone really south given the risk that Angle slammed. Um, he took Shane and he angle slammed him off a piece of plywood that was actually placed on the top of the ring ropes. Austin believes that the match made a statement that Angle is a bad motherfucker. Um, so I remember this match, and I tell you what, guys, if you don't watch the match at King of the Ring, go back on WWE Network on Peacock. They have um, a individual series. You can just search the match. And it will take you behind the scenes with commentary from Kurt and Shane. Highly recommend the watch. It will make you watch and love the match even more. So then we get into the invasion angle, right? You guys all remember that. WCW invading WWF back in the day, right? The invasion angle is brought up. And Angle asking Steve about Booker T. Austin broke several vertebrae in his back after being put through an announcer table. Angle believed getting injured at King of the Ring was the best thing that ever happened to his career. Austin didn't enjoy being half-throttled during his heel run because he felt like he was just getting ramped up. But he was soon paired with Kurt, and 
you know, at that point, he was physically unable to compete, so he had to kind of go to some comedy and some shit, right? Um, Kurt believed that this was the biggest opportunity of his life to be paired with Steve Austin. He could further develop his character. Steve's mindset at the time was, what can I do to survive by getting people to hate me in the process? The photo basically on the screen was then of the infamous cowboy hat segment, um, which Kurt whipped out a cowboy hat. And Steve, you know, asked and at this point in the podcast, Kurt whipped out a cowboy hat and Steve goes, is that actually the same hat? And Kurt laughed and said, oh, it's it's still the one that you got me. And it's funny because Steve was wearing a normal hat and Kurt ended up wearing this like cowboy hat that's meant for like a little, you know, five year old. Right. And so it was just it was ridiculous and kind of played into his goofy demeanor. Um, the WWE, want, uh, WWE wanted to put it. Um, the hat in the archives, but Kurt actually stole it and kept it all these years. Steve got the hat at the airport, half hung over on the way to Raw. Um, Steve didn't enjoy much of what he was going on, what was going on in his career, other than his segments with Kurt at the time. Kurt believes that those segments provided him with the layers that he needed to become an idiotic sidekick to Steve Austin. Nobody, you know, he said nobody likes, you know, Robin. The Jimmy Crack Corn segment is shown. Oh, that was terrible, but it was funny. Um, and with Vince walking out, Austin noted how all of the segments were filmed in one take, right? And Vince requesting that no one laugh during that one take. Um, then we get, you know, a little bit of Steve tapping out to the ankle lock at Unforgiven, and that's shown, and which took place at Kurt's hometown, ironically. His friends and family would celebrate with him in the ring, which was just a nice, feel-good moment. Steve believed it was difficult crowd to work for that evening. Kurt admitted that defeating Steve in his hometown, given him the much respect that he felt he, you know, earned in his industry. Um, right beside being an Olympic victor and his two biggest career achievements was winning the WWE title in his hometown. Angle revealed that he wasn't supposed to win the world title, but he convinced Vince that following 9-11, the hometown crowd and the fact that he was an American hero, it warrants a title change. That's an interesting note, guys. Um, the fact that he, you know, because we forget 9-11 happened around this time, and, yeah, I think it was a good move, and America needed a little bit of Kurt Angle patriotism, right? Uh, you know, he asked Steve for permission, and Steve agreed to do it. So smart call on the WWE and their booking back then. So, you know, kudos to that move. We then get into You Suck. That's right. We talk a little bit about Steve rolls the footage of uh, Kurt and Edge with the um, and basically the You Suck chance of Edge instructing the crowd to direct, you know, it at Kurt Angle. Angle believes the what chance eventually set it up. Austin brings the brand split in, into question, and he asked if Kurt felt different in the locker room, which Kurt acknowledged, and Angle brought up the conversation with Triple H where he mentioned that the bar was raised, and Kurt was already one of the best in the business just in three years. Guys, this was a big compliment. Angle was originally intended to be in the business for only about five years, but after getting hooked, he enjoyed a 20-plus year career. The epic cage match was then shown, and it was brought up um, really without Chris Benoit's name being mentioned, but they did get through that. I remember the edge angle, um, angle, so to speak. I remember that being so pivotal, and that actually was a big character transition because that is actually, there was a hair versus hair match, and that's when Kurt Angle ended up going bald, and it gave him a more intense, meaner look. You knew Edge wasn't cutting his hair. So then we get some thoughts on the overall talent, right? Kurt's neck, in, neck injury in the match against Brock Lesnar at No Way Out was shown on the screen, and Angle was admitting that he couldn't even lift a 10-pound dumbbell, uh, dumbbell at the time. 
Angle called Vince and offered to put the neck surgery off for a while, and he was cleared to compete at WrestleMania 19 in the main event against Brock Lesnar. Um, the botched shooting star press, that's right, by Brock Lesnar, was brought up with Austin believing that he should have never done it with Angle being so far out of the ring. I do agree that looked dangerous as hell, but you know he pulled it off a little bit. Um, both Kurt and Steve believe Brock broke his neck at the time. Kurt called for an audible with Lesnar giving him the F5. The two put over Brock as an animal with Kurt mentioning Lesnar was the best overall athlete he's ever been in the ring with. Given his size and agility, no one compares. Footage is then shown of Brock angered backstage with Austin, noting that he purposely sought him out to question him on the move. Um, Steve would further put Brock over as one of the greatest workers of all time and called him scary good for you know his age in the industry. Any of the match that you want to have, Brock can do, or any type of match. Um, Steve would add, Kurt also pointed out that if Brock wants to sell for you, there's nobody better. So it's interesting, right, because Steve asked, um, you know, Kurt about his initial thoughts on Brock at this point. And then he said he had a lot of respect for Brock's accomplishments, but the boys would stir up trouble between Brock and Kurt as they were told the newcomer that he was never an Olympic gold medalist. So that kind of, you know, annoyed Brock Lesnar, right? Kurt highlights the vast difference between the NCAA champion and Olympic gold medalist. Uh, Brock was the NCAA champion. Kurt was, of course, an Olympic gold medalist. The guys were just ribbing him a little back and forth. Uh, the two competed against each other in a grappling match, which was close to Kurt ultimately won after scoring one takedown. He attributes this to experience, patience, and positioning. Interesting. I like that. Experience, patience, and positioning. Angle showed the boys that he was tougher than Brock. Steve joked that Lesnar looked like a billion dollars upon debut. Um, I remember this match at WrestleMania 19. It was a very good uh, back-and-forth classic wrestling match. And if you actually watch it, if you're used to scoring traditional high school wrestling, you could actually sit there and count points in the first probably, I'd say, three-quarters of that match, which I found to be just amazing. We were then kind of transitioning a little bit. Steve asked him about his relationship with Eddie Guerrero and Kurt, you know, since they were you know really close with each other at one point. But there was some rough patches, too. Kurt admitted that they're that they were like brothers, but they also fought and loved like brothers. Some nights they would joke, and other nights they would just yell at each other. Angle brought up how, you know, from an in-ring perspective, Eddie was vastly different wrestler in the WWE, and it was part due to his car accident earlier in WCW. Guerrero was forced to adjust, which allowed him to become more of a main event caliber talent as opposed to a cruiserweight. Kurt brought up the fact that Eddie would often need to catch his breath and struggled to keep up or get going. Uh, which no one actually knew at the time, and it had to do really to his heart condition. Um, other nights, Eddie was on fire. There was one night where he had you know, a fight with Guerrero and pushed and attacked Angle for allegedly stiffing him, uh, which just means working really tough in the ring on him, um, which Kurt denied. Eddie would uh, leap at Kurt, which was countered. Uh, Big Show would pick up both men by the tights, ironically, and sit them down in um, opposite areas, uh, which is just funny, right? Kind of being the big brother of the two or the three guys. Kurt apologized to Eddie, um, but it was not accepted. So they got into it again, and they went at it again. Kurt noted how there were times backstage Eddie would appear white as a ghost, but then when he walked through the curtain, he would never miss a single beat. Angle speculated that he was living really to perform away in the ring, and Eddie struggled with it. Angle concluded by once again stating, we loved each other, we hated each other. <laughs> so these two sound like they had a friendship, a very um, friendly rivalry, like a frenemy type friendship, right? 
Um, both Steve and Kurt believed Eddie is one of the greatest. In fact, Steve once requested to work with Eddie Guerrero at one point in time, but he you know, never really got to. And then we get to WrestleMania, guys. Steve turns his attention to one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, an instant classic between Kurt Angle and HBK, Shawn Michaels, at WrestleMania 21. The sexy Kurt promo is shown as both men putting over how awesome Sherry was in that thing. Brian Gertzwitz wrote the lyrics, and Vince instructed Kurt on how to dance, which, ugh. If you've ever seen uh, Vince McMahon dance in some of the goofy 80s things, you would know why I'm shrieking there. Steve then basically reiterates on how he considered Shawn Michaels to be the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Kurt was excited to wrestle him, and the two never previously locked up and practiced much of anything really prior to that, which is just, again, impressive. Um, basically, Kurt brought up the story that Shawn was telling Angle, I'm not afraid of you. If something breaks out, it's on. This surprised Kurt since he was questioned. Someone told him that he was difficult to work with. Steve brought up how Sean is a cocky guy. Uh, Kurt agrees, and Steve's earlier assessment of Sean is the very best performer he's ever been in the ring with. The two watch in amazement as Sean's movements and timing happened in this match, or any match, really. Um, but he goes, why did you decide to start using the moonsault, Kurt? And Angle said, simply, because I'm stupid. <laughs> and then Kurt revealed that Sean was happy just to be in the match with Angle to get the win. So Kurt also credits Michaels with putting over the grapevine ankle lock and also considers this encounter at WrestleMania with Sean to be his greatest piece of work. It's impressive. Um, these guys even did a rematch at SummerSlam a few months after. Um, also was a pretty good match, but again, it never lives up to WrestleMania, right? Then we get into a segment I like to call Painful Impact. So what that basically means is Austin brings up at this point how Angle had six years into the business and was likely starting to face a bit of burnout since he was close to the end of the road in his WWE tenure. Angle admitted that the neck, growing, and back injuries were particularly rough to deal with on a weekly basis. The painkillers went from two to four to eight, which he basically was able to scale back prior to his match with Sean at WrestleMania 21. Kurt revealed... You know, his sister then died of a heroin overdose at the time um, that made him reliant on painkillers again, along with another neck injury. By this point, Kurt was sending Vince McMahon text messages that he was going uh, to beat the hell out of him when he saw him. And he said, why aren't you answering my calls, etc. Kurt was taking 20 Percocets a night, a few Xanax, and a Soma, so he doesn't remember even texting Vince. Shockingly, Kurt revealed... He wrestled The Undertaker at No Way Out in 2006 with a broken neck, uh, which you see as a pattern, man. Kurt is a beast and a worker, but it was one of his best matches. Again, another classic. Kurt wrestled in the main event against Rus at WrestleMania against Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio. Then Kurt wanted him in the ECW, or Vince wanted him in the ECW. At that point, Angle determined he didn't want to be with the WWE anymore because he didn't want to be downgraded. Um, and again, because of his prior connection with ECW a little bit, right? So he goes, how did you get out? And also, do you remember calling me? Kurt told Austin as he was going to do something drastic if Vince didn't let him go. Vince didn't want to release Angle, and he felt that he should head to rehab and then return in six months. But Kurt wouldn't have it, and he felt that he needed to break away and told Vince, if you don't release me, I think I'm going to kill myself. Angle would elaborate that this didn't mean a bullet to the head, but accidentally through a drug overdose. Man, that's crazy. Uh, very dark stuff there, but I mean, you know, this is a really good point in the podcast where, you know, they really talk about, you know, kind of the real life stuff that we don't see in wrestling. At that point, Vince released him immediately on the spot, 
but still advised that he go to rehab and chat again in six months. Angle felt his time with the WWE had concluded and he would sign with TNA Impact Wrestling. Kurt did also note that he felt Vince passed him over for Cena and specifically mentioned a movie part that was originally promised to him, which later went to John Cena. The day before Kurt quit, he pulled down his pants and revealed a nasty injury sustained at a house show the day earlier featuring bruising all over his lower body just for Vince to see what's going on. Um, Kurt shares the same story you know, where he overdosed on somas by taking one every hour, which ended up being eight. He didn't wake up. This also led to another meeting with Vince where he advised Kurt you know, to basically go to sleep. If you don't sleep tonight, you'll sleep tomorrow night or the next night. Don't do it again. Um, as Kurt noted, it was just a perfect storm of injuries, drug addiction, and losing his sister. Kurt also clarified that he never wrestled on drugs, and that was the only you know time that basically it was only done when he was away from the ring. Um, by the time Kurt started in TNA, um, he stopped taking the Percocets, and he was still struggling with sleeping and taking Xanax. Angle noted that upon arrival at the promotion, he noticed that everybody drank. So he started to as well, and while they were popping pills, this led to a horrible decision as drinking while he was driving. I would um, take Xannies, and I would drink a 12-pack of beer while I was driving. He would also text while driving, receiving four DUIs in five years. Uh, when his current wife threatened to leave him, that's what led to his full recovery through rehab. He spent 30 days in rehab, and he's been clean and sober for seven years, so good for Kurt. Um, Austin asked him and proceeded a little bit here, and he said, how was the process? And he said, the first week was hell. The problem with painkillers is enough is not enough. Your body builds a tolerance. At some point, you're going to go through withdrawal when you don't have it anymore. And he goes, that's what you want to stay out of. You're not trying to get high anymore. You're just trying to make it and to make sure that you don't have withdrawal symptoms. Um, that's the hardest part. Angle would admit that once he got through the first week, he would learn about the disease he suffered from, so he must be able to make it to a full 30 days, and then he never relapsed. It's his wife and six kids that kept him clean, and it's about them now and not just his career. Austin, you know, didn't want to discount his career at this point in TNA, but he didn't catch a lot of it. So Kurt wishes that he, his TNA career was in the WWE, but much of the WWE universe didn't, you know, really get to see. While Kurt noted, you know, it was a lot of fun and a great, you know, crew to work with, and it was never the WWE, and really nothing truly ever is. We then get to the Hall of Fame induction, right? Kurt Angle was inducted into the Hall of Fame class of 2017. So the subject came up, and it was brought up by Kurt noting that he was shocked to the headline of the class. He wanted to wrestle, um, opposed to being immediately conducted, you know. So uh, Kurt brought up spending an entire year in wrestling in the independence, and once he was inducted and acting general manager Raw, um, he stopped wrestling and his body became arthritic. So um, we get a little bit of story there. But then we move on to the match of the mixed tag. And so we get a little bit. You guys might remember Ronda Rousey's WrestleMania and wrestling debut. Um, regarding Ronda, Kurt would admit that it was me, uh, Stephanie and Triple H, promoting this woman and elevating her, really. Um, when I wrestled Baron Corbin... Um, he said he, I would have preferred to have been wrestling Stone Cold, The Rock, Cena, but Baron was a good kid. Tough worker, great guy, but to have it as a retire match, it was a little, um, you know, he goes, they never really treated me the same as they did the first time. Stone Cold brings up a photo where Angle is facing um, 
where Angle is facing the WrestleMania audience during the Hall of Fame portion of the show, and that the relationship that started way back in the day, Kurt featured the one that he would remember him the most. At this point, we get into the legacy, right, and kind of the legacy collection of Kurt. Austin asked about his legacy. Kurt would articulate that you can't consider yourself the greatest of all time when you didn't put the years in and into it and should have and do the work that you should have done. He doesn't believe that he became an icon as a babyface or a heel. Angle pointed out how fans would tell him, I hated you when I was younger, but I appreciate it now. You're awesome. I love you. Now the fans really appreciated his work as a heel, and he would never go down as the greatest of all time due to not putting in the years. He will never be on the Mount Rushmore, but maybe if he were, there were three separate Mount Rushmores, he would be considered for one of them. Austin would disagree by saying, if you ever talk to the boys, you're on everybody's list. Everybody knows how awesome you were. So I thought that was a really nice sentiment that was traded and that was given over. And then we get to the infamous plane ride from hell. And it was interesting to hear uh, Kurt's really aspect of this story. So Austin brings up the plane ride from hell. And Angle wrestling Vince um, Undertaker's choking Kurt out, believing it was a shoot fight. So here's Kurt's version of the infamous story. Vince was feeling risky and he was drinking a lot of wine on the plane. And there was a lot of wine stains on the floor everywhere because we were wrestling. He kept getting girls to come up to me and say, I want to talk to you for a second. He thought I was uh, this Romeo type guy. So he would have Terry Reynolds or Lita or Trish say, hey, I want to talk to you. So every time I would go to talk to them, Vince would jump on me. He'd come out of the seat or the bathroom or he would start wrestling with me. And then I would reverse it. And he would get them down and say, are we good? And he'd say, we're good. And then I would go back to sleep. And he kept bringing people. So there was a point, one point, you know, near the end where really the whole thing opened. And we're wrestling and we're hitting that. The flight attendant is like, you guys better sit down. We're going to land this plane right now. Vince looks at her and he says, and he tells the pilot, go fuck himself. I'll buy this fucking plane. I couldn't believe it. Finally, he calms down. I go to the front, um, and he goes to the back, and they tell everyone, put your seatbelts on. We're landing. As we were landing, Jericho's sitting in front of me. He looks down the aisle, and he's going, Vince is army crawling as we hit the ground. Um, he goes, do you believe what this son of a bitch is doing? So I look, and I see Vince coming to get me. And while we were landing, so he jumps on me, and I let him jump on me, and he ends up getting me down. So I have to take him down. I gut-wrenched him, and the taker's strong as hell, and he knows submissions, so he locks onto me and I tap. Uh, very, very interesting take and story here. I've never heard Kurt's side of that. Um, it was funny to hear him relive it, and it was very funny to hear how uh, insane Vince can be when he gets a little wine in him, and the fact that he just didn't want to be defeated by Kurt despite you know, being completely outmatched. All right, so we get to the final thoughts of this. I mean, Kurt, um, at this point, they kind of wrap up. Kurt gave Steve uh, some chicken snacks and plant protein from a supplement company. They kind of came full circle with that. And then Steve presented Kurt with a little gift, and they both get their hands on some guitars. And Austin puts on his big cowboy hat, and Angle putting on the tiny one. Uh, they never got to do a duet together, so they send us home happy, and they badly play out old mcdonald had a farm which is again just another ridiculous 
fun moment. So final thoughts on this. Um, I think it's worth a watch. I definitely think this is one of the better podcasts that they've had. I've enjoyed a lot of these. But this one, if you didn't, you know, like the breakdown that we gave you here or you want to see a little bit more, I would highly recommend it's a fun watch. And they have a good sense of, you know, chemistry and kind of goofy comedy with some of the highs and lows. So definitely go enjoy it. I've enjoyed giving you guys the breakdown, and I want to wish you guys the best. Everyone, thanks for watching. Like, share, subscribe. And it's not goodbye. It's game over. Can't stay